Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime. If you have questions, suggestions, and feedback you would like to share with us, please use our email service at infomillavillechurch.org. And now, here is a message from Sunday Morning at MCC. We're in a series called uh, uh, Family Faith, and we're looking at uh, what family means to God and uh, how it's so important. We've discovered so far that Family is God's key plan for redeeming this world. He tells, as we learned last week through Abraham, that he intends to bless the entire world, every family on earth, through Abraham and his faithfulness. And that also, by the promises extended from Abraham to us through Jesus Christ, is to us today. We've learned that... uh, It's his plan to change everything. I find that really refreshing because uh, over the years I've heard a lot of plans. Political parties, have you ever heard political parties talking about reforms and plans? And Some politicians saying they have a brilliant idea. And then as a pastor I've heard various groups saying, you need to vote for this and vote for this. This is our hope for change. But I want you to know God's plan isn't in a political party or a social movement. It's in the family. And we also learned that the family of God isn't uh, just the nuclear family or or just certain people. It's everyone who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ is included in the family of God. We all become brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers and aunts and uncles of each other. And we take care of one another through the Spirit and we feel connected. I was just talking to a brother today saying what joy he knew too as he travels the world, he meets people, and immediately he can sense in the Spirit that there's a brother or a sister in the Lord. No matter where he travels, that connection is there. We might have different languages and different understandings and places, but we have this connection in the Spirit. And the family of God is all over the face of the earth. You would be hard-pressed to go anywhere in this world and not find a brother or a sister in the Lord. Holy Spirit has spoke to our hearts, and we're challenged to take up this fight for the family, to walk into this promise that was given to Abraham. Today, the Lord has something new to reveal to us about how to keep this godly faith and this focus on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The motto I gave you last week, do you remember what it is? God's house, God's rules, right? And we learned that uh, we come under the protection of God as we walk under uh, God's ruling principles. It isn't uh, my dad's rules or my rules or independence. I want to come under the guidance and the teaching of God and that I would do what he would say. We can just change that saying just a fraction and bring out a critical renewing power in families. And this is the second motto. God's house, God rules. And it's different than the first one. I don't know if you can see the difference. Can you? But it is a slight change, but it it is a renewing power within family, if we can discover what this means. Our Heavenly Father has 
rules that are meant to guide and protect us from the evils of this world, but if we're going to realize the power of faith and the relationship must become personal with the Father. For there is to be a powerful life, changing faith in our homes. God needs to have a position of the ruler of our homes. Now, why does God need to rule our families as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? So he needs to be ruler so we can learn to trust him for the challenges beyond our control. I just turned another age. I'm not going to talk about my age. But I've been learning that life will throw things at you you are not ready for. Would you agree? Have any of you experienced that yet? All right. And uh, just as you get over one, I'm just getting into that place of satisfaction where Sandra and I came through great turmoil, but now we're settled into a place. We have a new church family, and things are going really along. And I'm in that foolish place where I think, well, I handled that pretty good. I, I could think I can just about handle just about anything. And that's the foolish place, because life will show up and just take you out within, in a half a second, and you can't even see it coming. So just about that time you feel confident, you think you know what you're doing, you don't realize you need God to rule over your life because life is bigger than you. It always is. Things are coming your way, you have no idea what is coming. And if you did, you wouldn't be ready for it anyways. If we just follow the rules like so many religious people do, we'll just start bending the rules. You ever do that in your homes? Slightly bending the rules, reinterpreting the rules, and people who follow the rules forget the ruler. One of the most important things about rules is, what was the intent of the rule? What was the purpose? And if we sit down and form committees and Bible studies, and we decide what the intent is, we miss the whole point, and we go down this road of religion and start straying away from the will of the Father. There's only one who knows what he meant and intended. It's God, right? And we have to ask him, seek him, and let him explain his word to us. We think that we are in good standing if we keep the rules. I've kept all the rules, so I must be in good standing. And we cannot be accused of breaking the law. This is a religious way of thinking because it does not honor the one who makes the rules. When I was young, I was perfect. I grew up in a holiness church. And in a holiness church, you were holy when you did not sin. And how does a holiness church know they haven't sinned? They reduce the number of sins. <laughs> in my church that I grew up in, there was five things you needed to avoid, and if you could do it, you were holy. Do you know what the five things were? Don't dance, don't smoke, don't drink, don't play with face cards. Rook's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean by Rook. <laughs> it's funny. It's Church of God poker. That's what that is. <laughs> and uh, what was the last one? Something about swearing, I think it was. But those were the five. And if you could keep those rules, you were holy. 
you've, you've arrived and you're in a good place. That was when I was young. Now that I'm older, I realize I needed another set of hands, you know, another hand to count off the things the way I could violate God's rules. And then as I've got older, I've used all my toes and all my fingers to count them off. And now that I'm 61, I do not have enough digits to talk about ways I can break God's rules. Because I understand as I draw closer to God, his will, rather than just the rules. And I desire to know his heart. Laws and rules are guidelines that set the lowest common denominator, not the highest. My wife and I have a debate over speed limit signs. She thinks it's the law. I think I've observed you Albertans. I think it's a guideline. <laughs> I've driven down 22. Have you been down Highway 22? Especially south of Longview? The speed limit sign is a suggestion and you just sort of go the speed everybody else is going. And I figured someone needs to lead the pack. So set the <laughs> common rules. And my wife sits over there in the other chair and goes. <laughs> and then she'll scream, there's, there's an officer. And I'll hit the brakes. Because I don't know if the officer shares my interpretation of speed limit signs. If you only do the minimum necessary you will miss the full blessing of God in your life. If you just follow the rules, you won't enter into the abundance of what God has for you. It's just the lowest common denominator. Jesus said to his disciples, unless your faith and righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the rule keepers, you won't even begin to enter the kingdom of God. You've got to go beyond what they're doing. How do you go beyond the rules? You go into the will of God, into the abundance of his plan. You've got to move from God's house and God's rules to God's house. God rules here. And that will bring the fullness of God's and his blessing on your home. And he wants to bring the fullness on your home. He wants your home and your fellowship with believers, whatever they are, to be abundant life. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that they may have life and they would have it to the full. That's not about rule keeping. That goes well beyond it. God wants to bless this world through Abraham and Isaac and for what he would have to challenge them both to do is an excellence of faith. God intended to renew that faith for this family that he began with Abraham at a higher level than what they have known before. And that what brings us to Genesis 22. If you got your Bibles out, we're going to pick up the story of Abraham and Isaac. Genesis 22. And uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 18 as we work through this. I'm going to start at verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! I always like the exclamation mark because that means shout it. And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain of which I will tell you. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering. And he rose, he went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, his servants, stay here with the donkey, I and the lad, he's Irish, I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood and the butter offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the, uh, the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, uh, my father. And he said, here I am. He always says that. Here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. God tested Abraham. That seems like a strange idea, doesn't it? That God would test Abraham. We automatically think that God tests people in order to find out what they know, what they can do, and what kind of character they have. Why else do we have tests? We have fireman I met today, and he just went through testing to see if he could still climb a ladder and carry hoses, and I hoped he could, and he did. But we don't know until they pass the test. We have young people at uh, youth convention who are taking driver's tests, and they'll pass the test. But the parents aren't sure they really should have passed the test, but they did. And the government says they can drive a car. Have you ever been tested? Have you ever been tested by God? Do you like tests? <laughs> I hate tests. I've always detested tests. My stomach goes and I sweat and I'm nervous and everything. You ever, uh, some of you have been to school and you were uh, straight A students and stuff like that, but I know what about people like you is that come fall or, or the beginning of, or the end of the year, you keep your, your program to get hypervigilant about taking tests and whether you studied. You, you ever have dreams that you're not ready for the test coming and you didn't do your paper or something like that? I went to school so long I had dreams like that for the longest time. I just don't like tests. And tests are to find out if you qualify, if you know something, if you're capable, if you have the skill or the strength to do the task that is before you. And Abraham tests, is tested by God. But let me remind you that anytime God asks a question, it's not to get information. You ask questions to get information. God does not. He already knows the answer. It isn't like he doesn't know. God doesn't give a test to find out something about you. He already knows what you're going to do. He knows your character inside and out. Remember Jesus Christ with his apostles and Peter's there and they're about to face the, one of the greatest tests in history, which was the arrest, the trial, and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter's there. 
He hears what the test and trial will be, and he said, I can do it. And Jesus said, no, you can't. Oh, no, everyone else will abandon you. I will never abandon you. You'll abandon me before the rooster crows, Jesus says. Tests aren't to inform God. He knows. So why does God test? Why does he test Abraham? Let's uh, look at that. I usually find that God tests, asks the questions so that we can learn something. Because the question opens your mind to consider something you might not have considered before. A test of faith is so that you can discover what you're capable of when you follow God. By faith, in his strength, and not that of your own. A lot of us have no idea what is possible with God in our lives. When God tests Abraham or any of us, it's not just to learn something, but to realize something that we can do. A testing from God is not to break us or punish us. It's not for wrongdoing. It's a challenge from God to go further in our faith than we have dared to go up to this point. And that's why God allowed Job to be tested. It is why Jesus Christ allowed Peter to be tested. And it's why God might test you. A test from God is God telling us this, that he believes we can be more than what we believe about ourselves. One of the scariest things I have discovered in my walk with the Lord is the Lord believes in me more than I believe in myself. And I don't know that I like that. Because he'll put me in situations I'm not sure I can handle. And he says, oh, no, it'll be fine. I'll be there with you. It'll be okay. I don't know. I can promise you that you have not yet discovered or know the full potential of what God can do through you. This is about an abundant life a life full of God. When we pass the test of faith, we will discover just how amazing God's love is for us and for his family and what he'll do. The apostle knew what this kind of faith test was. He knew quite a few failings in his own life. He prayed for the church and for us today that we too would pass the test and we would have greater courage than he did when facing the test of our family faith in God. He wrote this in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I kneel before what? The Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that our glorious, that out of his, the Father's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. This is family to us together, right? To grasp just how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is not rule-keeping. 
This isn't God's house, God rules. This is God's house, God rules over us. And he has challenges before us. The only way to really know the love of Christ for us is to pass tests of faith he gives. The test the Father gives Abraham is hard. God chose the very person that was a gift from God, a promise for the future of generations to come. God chose Isaac, the only son of Abraham, whom he loved and gained by many trials of faith. God tells Abraham basically this, give back to me what I gave to you. Has God given you any good thing in your life? Think about it. We could spend all day counting all the good things in your life. Every good thing in your life comes from Father God. If you call it good, it's from him. Every good thing in my life comes from God. I'm very happy. I'm very content with what I've been given. The Lord has been great to me. And if you can pass the test that God gives you, guess what? Even greater things will come into your life. I've been at a lot of restaurants that I'm going to be at more soon. <laughs> and uh, there's a thing at restaurants. You sit down, you order your meal, the meal comes, they always serve you more food than you can eat. And then you're at the end, and then the waiter or the waitress comes around and they ask, did you save room for dessert? <laughs> and we roll our eyes and say, oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. And the other thing I've noticed is I've started to look at the dessert menus. They're getting smaller. And the portions are like really tiny because they, oh, it's just a half a scoop of ice cream with a, a little wafer of a cookie. You could eat that. You could have dessert. And say, so, oh, no, I couldn't possibly. We just don't leave room for desserts. When we receive many blessings from the Lord, he is coming around this very morning to see if you have room for more. And you might just roll your eyes and say, oh, no, Lord, I'm very satisfied. I'm very satisfied. I, I don't need anything else. You can pass me on, Lord. I'm, I'm good. I don't need anything. But the Lord wants to do more in your life than satisfy you. He wants to give you an abundance not so we can feel more stuffed than we already feel. It's because he wants to bless all the families of the world through you, just like he did Abram, to make room for more. Abraham's life, to be even a greater blessing, God asked for the sacrifice of the blessing. The blessing that was already given, the thing that filled his life, the blessings that fill your life and make you satisfied and content and say, oh, I couldn't possibly receive anything more. God asks for the sacrifice of those blessings to give back what he has given to you. Isaac was a great blessing, an impossible dream, a promise of a future and a hope all in one kid. But... God had given even bigger and greater plans than what would happen through Isaac. God asked for Isaac to be placed back into his hands so he could increase the blessing. And he couldn't do it until that sacrifice was given. Every good 
thing that you have in your life today is from the Lord. And every evil in our life is a result of listening to a corrupting voice that corrupts the good. When God asks you to surrender something into his hands, it's not to deprive you of good things. He gave you those good things. It is to increase the blessing beyond your life and beyond your personal concern. Please remember this as you surrender the sacrifice of a blessing that he might be asking you to do today is that God will provide. So I often thought, God's given me a lot of great things. I'm a steward of great people in my life, so like my kids and my grandchildren and, and my wife and the churches and the people that God places in my life. I want to be a good steward of all these things. I want to take care of them, treasure them. And my life is so full right now, I get just tired thinking about all that God has given into my life. And, and it's so great. And then God will show up and say, are you enjoying what you have, John? You sure am. I'm loving it. Well, could I have it back? What? He said, it's all right. I'll provide. You're not going to crash because I take it out of your hands for a while. The faithfulness of what God does is amazing. Genesis 22, pick it up, verse 9. Then uh, Abraham came to the place where God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, bound his son, that's tied him up, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God. And since you have not withheld your son, your only son for me. Then Abram raised his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called and named the place, The Lord Will Provide. And it is said to this day, This is the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. The faithfulness of Abraham in this story is when he left his tribe, his country, his father's house, to follow God and to form a new family, a family of faith. He left in order to follow by faith. His faithfulness was tested in believing that he would have a son even as an old man and his wife was getting old and they went through a great trial. That's a whole other story I'm not going to preach on. But the upshot of it, Isaac finally shows up through all that testing and he's growing up in his house. He believed that God will provide all that was needed and he did not know just what or how God would provide it, but he had learned to trust God's provision in everything. He says, God will provide himself for the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. He simply lived by faith, not by hoarding, but by faith. Even his own son, he didn't hold back. If you're going to get ready for greater things in your life, so you can be a blessing to many others. You need to come to the mountain of the Lord and offer up 
the sacrifice of the blessings God has given you. Why? Because the greater blessing will harm us if our hearts are not ready to receive it. When I'm at the restaurant, if they offer me a cheesecake this big and I just ate at steak dinner, I say, that will harm me. I just had a hernia operation. I don't think it's going to blow the stitches out. This is just not happening. If I don't learn to give back to God what he's given to him into my full life and let him be the ruler of it, I don't have room to receive more. God wants me to have more in my life. Not because I'm good, not because I'm better than anybody else, including you. He wants more in each one of our lives so that you can be in an abundant blessing to every family on earth. He wants you to be source of that blessing. This isn't to satisfy you. This is to make you a river, a fountain that blesses this world. What a powerful image the Lord is giving us. And by sacrificing the blessings I've come, I begin to realize his blessings aren't something you put in the bank. It's a river that flows through your life. He will provide. It will be there because God is the provider. Why are we stewards of the things of God? What is God's purpose in putting these blessings in our hands? The answer is so we can be a blessing to others and more blessings can come. When we do this, God gains glory, his plans begin to work, and he begins to renew and change the world. In the offering, we prove God right, and we surprise ourselves at how much we can trust the Lord. The trust in God is based on the love of God, not in bargains or trade agreements. And i got to just mention this, because some of you are thinking, oh, he's offering a free trade deal. This is Trump in religion. So this is me offering up a portion of my money so I can get way more back. I'm up for that. I'll give the Lord 20% so I can get 40% back. That is not what this is. This is not about that. This is about recognizing what God is doing in your life, being grateful for that, that your hope and your future is not in the blessings, but the God who gave the blessings, right? And that he is not done. There is so much more that he wants to do through you for many other people. Abraham was willing to give up his son as a sacrifice to God. Isaac was willing to be given as a sacrifice to God. Do you notice what this passage didn't say? And Isaac fought his dad. He didn't want to die. He said, Dad, why are you tying me up and laying me as... No, it doesn't say anything like that. Isaac allows himself to be tied. He allows himself, if someone were to tie me up and lay me on an altar on a pile of wood, I would be squirming off that thing, wouldn't you? Isaac sits there and says, God will provide. I guess dad knows what he's doing. I don't know. But God was not willing to receive more than he was given. Genesis 22, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, 
Indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seeds as the stars of the heaven and as the sands which are on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Wow. Many years ago, an old retired pastor once told me in my congregation, he walked up to me and he said, John, he said, yes, sir, you can't outgive God. Boy, I heard that. I took it up as a model. I've been trying ever since. I haven't succeeded. He was right. Abraham and Isaac knew this on the mountain. You can't outgive God. God will not be outdone by your faithful obedience. He will match and exceed what you do by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. When I offer the sacrifice of the blessing of what God's put in my life, I offer what God's asked me to give. You know, I'd like to donate 10 cream puffs to the church or something. You know, I'd like to give out of things I, I can afford to give up. But when he asks me for something, it's often something that's very near and dear to my heart, and I don't know if I'm willing to give that up, right? It's about what the Lord asks for. This isn't trading. This isn't bargaining. This is letting the Lord say what it is, whatever it is, however it is. The sacrifice of blessing on this mountain is God who is where we all must come. This is the very spot where Abraham offered Isaac on this mountain. At this very spot, biblical scholars tell us, in later generations, at this same spot with Abraham and Isaac, King David would show up and buy the threshing room floor and offer up an offering, a sacrifice to God to stop a plague that was wiping out Israel. And the angel of that plague stopped at that place. Tradition says this is the same place that his son, Solomon, built the temple on Mount Zion. This is where the sacrifice of the blessing came. And it was renewed generation after generation after generation. It's great to begin to build a family of faith and begin with giving your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we pull together as brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that's what we are today. And we celebrate all the victories we know in the Lord. But that faith, that gift we've been given has to be renewed it's made alive generation after generation. Even within my own walk, I need to rediscover that God will provide. How do I know that God will provide unless I need him to provide? If I'm full, if I'm satisfied, I don't need him to provide. Oh, go on, Lord, give that to someone else. I'm good. I don't need it. I need it. And the world around me needs they don't know enough to ask. They don't know what it is to know the Lord. We just had a, a recent high tea here, and you men weren't here, so I'll tell you about it. And it was good. And, oh, yes. And uh, I was in the back and serving 30 gallons of tea that went out. And uh, people kept coming back for more tea, and I had helpers that were serving it out. 
And what would happen is someone would find a cup of tea that they just thought was amazing, and then people would come back to the tea table and say, I've got to try this tea, because someone at my table said, this is amazing, you've got to try this. And uh, people found their favorites. But there is nothing more amazing than finding the Lord in your life. And going to people that aren't hungry and are satisfied and they think they're well, yeah, but you haven't tried this. This is way better than anything you've known up to this point. Satisfaction can remove some of the greatest blessings in our life when we don't realize what we really need. God, through his testing, can open us up to us needing more, but every generation needs to renew that commitment as it happened through Abraham and Isaac, through King David, through Solomon. And this was the same place on this mountain where Jesus Christ did trial, was arrested and handed over to Romans for crucifixion. God won't be outdone. There is a tradition in the Middle East that when uh, you give a gift that it's uh, dishonorable to the one receiving the gift, if I don't match that gift, at least match that gift that I'm given. It's an honor system. Do you understand how that works? And when Abraham and Isaac were willing to give up his only son and Isaac was willing to be given, God looks at that and he says, I can't be outdone by these two. And it's through Jesus Christ that he offered up his own son and matched Isaac to death on the cross. On the third day, this man was offered up, Isaac by Abraham. And on the third day, Jesus Christ was raised from the grave by God. This was a far greater blessing than what Abraham and Isaac thought was coming. That the family of God through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ would expand to us Gentiles. It wouldn't just be descendants of the DNA. You don't have to go and do a DNA test to see if you're related to the Jews. If you're saved and you come into the kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ, all of this is yours. You're a part of that family and all these blessings. And God wants to bless the world through you. We need to come to this mountain, this Zion, with our sacrifice of blessings. This and more God put into motion because of an obedient faith and a sacrifice of a blessing given both by Abraham and Isaac. Such faith challenges God to offer up his own son for Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. Remember this, you can't outgive God. We can give out of obedience and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit what he asks us to give. And when we are asked to give so we can be a greater blessing to the world around us. We give our money, we give our children our homes, not to get, but to gain the kingdom of God. If the Lord lets you keep what he has given as God spared Isaac, it's not so God can work through you. He wants you to do far more than what you could ever imagine. And right now, I truly believe we are on that mountain again. God has already provided all that we need. And he's calling each of us to surrender to him something we hold dear to our hearts. And he said, could I have that? Would you give that to me? He is doing this not to take away what you need. He's doing this to pour back 
into you a blessing beyond your expectations. Not for you, but for others around you. Abraham and the son Isaac climbed this mountain and received this blessing of renewed family faith. King David and his son Solomon climbed that mountain to receive the same renewed covenant. God himself and Jesus Christ climbed this mountain and made a covenant with the world. Now it's your turn. The sacrifice of blessing for the sake of the world. What will you give the Lord? What will he do with it? Let's find out. Agreed? Just bow your heads with me where you are. And with your heads closed, I just want to take a moment for God to speak. Your heads down, your eyes closed, let the Lord talk to you about the thing that he would put his finger on and say, would you let me have that? Whatever it is, can I have that so I can do something with it? It might be a very near and dear blessing in your life that you might have a hard time prying your fingers off. But if the Lord is asking you right now, can you identify what that sacrifice of blessing is? So I'm telling you right now, whatever he is showing you in this moment, that's where an abundant life lives. That's where an exciting journey of faith begins. If he's putting on your heart something that he would like you to put into his hands, a sacrifice of blessing on this mountain of the Lord, would you do that now? Just you and him, would you answer the challenge, the test that he's putting you to right now? And say, Lord, it's yours. Here I am. You want it, you got it. And just give it back to him. Say, do with it, Lord, as you please. It's all yours. The Lord will be challenged by that. Lord, I thank you for everyone who has been challenged this day, who is being tested to surrender to believe that you're going to provide, even as you take. Lord, you told us in your word, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, for Lord, this is the beginning of an abundant life as you provide even more. And we thank you, Lord, it's not about us. It's about a starving, dying, lost, hurting world around us that needs far more than what we currently own or have in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you want to bless them and work in their lives through us, through an abundant life, to transform this world. So, Lord, we surrender to you what we think is our knowledge and our wisdom to receive even greater understanding. We surrender to you, Lord, our families that we try to protect and hide away from the world so that they can be bold apostles and evangelists on this earth. Lord, we surrender to you our bank accounts, which the government's going to take anyways. And we ask you, Lord, to make it so abundant and such a powerful blessing that people will want to know this God we serve, that we can do good through it, that we can redeem those that are under great burdens. Lord, we pray that you would give us insight and innovation to understand how creation works how the laws of the universe that are in place that we can teach others how to live an abundant life and solve the real challenges before this world. And Lord, it all begins in this place with these people, this family of God, 
brothers and sisters in the Lord, Lord, that are so precious in your sight, you want to work with them in a powerful way to do amazing things. Lord, I offer this blessing, this family, back into your hands and ask you would do as you please with them. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. God is good. Go with the Lord. Amen. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. We are a Christ-centered church with all kinds of opportunities to reach out to the communities, both locally and abroad, and for all ages. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.